All right, live again after some technical difficulties. We were just talking about just experiences um, in the, the restaurant industry during the pandemic, talking about how, you know, 40% of his staff never returned, but there's some sort of a new normal found in the way that we can, you know, be more efficient in our, in our uh, in the way we, we handle restaurants. And we're talking about some myths of the industry. And you mentioned Craig, who was on here last week, about how it's not so easy to, to get into the restaurant industry, maybe maybe not everyone should be in the restaurant industry. It's a hard place to get into. Maybe you can sort of touch more on that and uh, help us understand sort of what are what are the, the, the myths there? What are the tips and tricks that you've learned that others maybe are not so privy to? Um. So, yeah, I was talking about how how culinary students uh, come out of culinary school and they expect to be uh, making the dishes and making menus right away and plating and and whatnot. And it's very important, I think, also for people that are, are going to start running a restaurant to really know the basics and the the structure of the kitchen and uh, learning what dishwashing and uh, simple prep jobs because um, learning the basics properly is going to be is going to be your success for sure. Um, people, um, people open restaurants. They think, um, just because they're a great cook, they're going to be, uh, running a restaurant well, but there's like, I was talking about, there's so many moving pieces with staffing, scheduling, hiring, um, even down to like, uh, Ecolab with the, the chemicals you're supposed to be using to properly run a kitchen and, uh, Dealing with, uh, you know, Vancouver Coastal Health in Vancouver with uh, health standards and proper food safe. So there's a lot of moving pieces with, with restaurants and uh, food industry that it's a tough industry for sure. So did you did you find that that helped you in your transition to become this sort of entrepreneur now in the sort of second half of Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I, I, like I said, I started as a dishwasher and I moved, moved my way up through prep cook jobs, um, supervisor jobs with smaller teams and then in, in a smaller hotel, the bigger hotels, and then also working in Vancouver in a smaller hotel from New Orleans where I was. Um, it definitely, everything's a learning, learning opportunity, it, big or small. Um, but definitely moving into an entrepreneurial uh, kind of role that I'm trying to start with. Um, I, I got a lot of basics on uh, financials and the way budgeting works and purchasing and uh, all, all that uh, fun stuff that doesn't really have to do with uh, cooking per se. But uh, So do you think that that's sort of like the more, the more challenging side or is it still like uh, the biggest challenge of a restaurateur is to provide that customer experience to the, <clears throat> to the person dining in. I mean, as a restaurateur, the the guest is paying you, so you need to cater to their needs always, for sure. It's uh, take take feedback, positive or negative, and turn it into a positive in the future, right? And sort of, what's the biggest challenge uh, that restaurateurs and maybe Ronan chefs has in that, in that process, you know, what, what's the, what's the hurdle you're facing and how are you overcoming it? Um, probably the hurdle is for myself, just being a kind of a chefy chef, I guess you could say with, uh, some ingredients, some people might not know. I think the challenge is to d almost not dumb it down, but simplify it a little bit with the, the description of the menu items or, uh, d yeah, just, 
making it less chefy, a little more for the broad view of the regular person that's like, oh, I don't know what certain culinary terms are. Right. So going to culinary school gives you too much of a, a bourgeois menu. Or something. Yeah. Or maybe I traveled, <laughs> I traveled too much to Asia. So I start putting too many, uh, Japanese words on menus and maybe, maybe some people, maybe some people know it, some people don't know it, but I think that's the great thing about what I love about private dining, um, going into people's houses and, and really each course you go to explain the dish and maybe you get to explain what, what the vision of the dish is or um, what mm. the ingredients are and how, what it kind of means to, to the dish. So have you sort of solved that problem through the way that you market your, your service or is it more just about uh, understanding how, what orders are being placed and um, how you can adjust for, um, you know, your ingredients or what's the sort of calculus there? Um, for Ronin chefs, it's um, I'd like to make custom menus based on the client um, just because everybody has different tastes and everybody has different groups, right? Maybe, maybe they're a, um, the, the group is, uh, you know, I, I've done groups that don't want any lactose in the entire meal. So you gotta, you gotta change it up there. So, or, or gluten-free meals, just because one guest, you don't want to put, you don't want to make one guest feel out of place just because they, they're gluten intolerant. So you just kind of form the menu around, around them. Yeah. And so is it possible to create a menu that is lactose-free, gluten-free, vegan? Like how many restrictions can you add on before it becomes impossible? I think there's always a way. <laughs> I've done there's always a way with like, uh, one thing I, I did learn working in, in banquets is you, like in hotels is uh there's always the vegan gluten-free you know all these like, <laughs> fod diet or mod diets and uh there's a lot of diets that people you need to make a custom menu but you still have to make it uh sufficient enough so they feel like they're they're getting full and they're not getting cheaped out of their meal yeah definitely um, and so is that sort of creating the, the catered experience for each individual customer, sort of what makes you um, inspired to, to end Ronin chefs more than as a regular, you know, chef at a, at a restaurant like Marriott? Or what's the sort of thing that makes you feel like you're, you're living your best self? Yeah, just uh, sending a menu to a, uh, a guest and then they kind of send it back saying, oh, we don't eat pork or something. And then so you, you, you recreate the menu and you're, you're really – you're making the guests feel like they're, they're, uh, special, I guess. And, and they're getting what they want because I mean, every get every guest really is special. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's the, the mantra that makes, you know, chefs, uh, successful over, over decades is having that, that, you know, core belief that it's not about, you know, the glamor or, you know, becoming Gordon Ramsay. It's, it's, it's more about, you know, how can I make sure that, each individual plate that I, that I serve is, is um, the best that it can yeah. be. Yeah, you're good. Good. Um, you know, you have a wealth of experience in this industry and I sort of want to know what's the, the most important lesson you've learned um, over your career and sort of how did it get etched into your mind? What was the first time you were like, Oh, this clicked. Um, I think, 
there's so many, so many lessons. I mean, the, the guess is always right is one big lesson. Uh, but another one is uh, pertaining to like a leadership role is listening to your staff and not going against your staff as much. Um, you want to, you want to, and sort of what caused that you want to make sure you want to make sure that your staff has your back i guess you could say um people make so we had cases where where the staff was like where you you know you were too harsh one time and then the staff sort of uh showed you the... yeah you get some pushback but um every i mean i'm not perfect and nobody's perfect and uh, i think you have to remember that people make mistakes um, especially staff members, and you, you got to give them forgiveness at a certain point. Um, but I mean, any funny stories you can recall? Oh, <laughs> not off the top of my head. I'd have to think of. We can go back to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. problem. Um, so staffing obviously has become you know more and more a part of your your life uh, as, as you sort of go from uh, dishwasher to manager to executive and all these things. Are there other sort of um, intangibles that you focus more on, whether it be, you know, marketing or sort of uh, breaking down your inventory analysis? Like how much do you spend time on, on sort of these, like, the things that people imagine chefs do versus the sort of back office, making sure people come into the store and uh, how you, uh, you know, make sure to come back after they leave? Uh, marketing. I, I learned a ton about marketing probably starting up after COVID just with uh, Instagram and uh, and it, it's helped me in my own own company as well. Um, just uh, Instagram and and reaching out and making special special menus and uh, you touch base on inventory. One one big challenge with a bigger hotel is making sure that you're streamlining your inventory. Um, so you're not carrying too many products, and uh, when you are purchasing the if you have too much inventory, especially now with shortage of items, uh, keeping keeping the same items on your banquet menu and the restaurant menu is 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 pretty important now. Just keeping a streamlined inventory for sure. You know, Craig and I, <clears throat> Craig and I were talking about this last time. We were talking about how you know, because um, because you know, we, we of course uh, run this company that uh, creates restaurant software, and so one of the things we're looking at building out next was sort of like an inventory analysis tool saying that like if I have people ordering you know x number of, uh, of menu items let's say in a given week uh, can I see sort of what general uh, ingredients are used across all of those and can I optimize my menu sort of automatically to to focus on let's say the core 20 or 30 ingredients and cut out the 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 excess if I can in some ways. so like seeing how we can uh, sort of think about making these uh, inventory issues these uh, menu design issues more sort of streamlined through a software. That's sort of what we're aiming to do next. Uh, we already have like marketing and these sorts of things um, set up for restaurants, but I want to understand sort of from my own user experience perspective, what are the pain points that you face in this process and how how we can, uh, how you'd hope it would be, it would be solved? Um, just, uh, looking at uh, what, what you have on your menus and then what you have on your shelf and, and where you're going to get the items from too, because every time you purchase something, you're going to be spending time purchasing it. Um, and availability of products too, seasonality products or seasonal products or 
what what city or region you're into is a big big thing for inventory too um i yeah when i went to new orleans i would make some menus that was a little more uh western canada <laughs> and some of the products i put on the menu a lot of asian items were were hard to get in uh, the south of the states so um <laughs> so understanding your your context your region um instead of trying to do local sourcing i've seen a, i've seen a lot of push for um local sourcing ingredients as opposed to trying to sort of shipping it from overseas because of all the, the supply chain shortages we had in the last couple of years yeah. as well have you seen that push toward in, in your space as well yeah you see uh i've seen some more locally made uh like korean products made in vancouver opposed to importing it from seoul just with sh shipping costs and everything these days that i mean everybody's aware that food prices have gone up and shipping costs is probably one of the biggest biggest reasons for that yeah and so sort of with that food prices going up um how have you sort of balanced um you know, making sure that you're turning something of a profit or at least having some good revenue with sort of um, the, the, the lack of customers might be because of the rising food prices. If I can't afford to go to a restaurant uh, twice a week, that's going to decrease the overall, you know, revenue the restaurant's get. So how do you how do you play that balancing act of you know, maximizing your profits while not minimizing the, the customers coming in? Um, I mean, you have to you have to raise your menu prices yearly um, based on inflation and uh what's going on in the world but you don't want to i think gradually raising it instead of just a big jump um is a better better way to do it because one day someone might come in for a, a burger for say and then it's 21 dollars, and all of a sudden it's 25 and they're like oh okay well they're not going to walk out of the restaurant but maybe they won't come back so i think maybe raising it two dollars instead of four dollars based on the inflation price um it's probably better better tactic um the hotel I was at did did raise their price over overnight twelve percent, which um, quite a big jump twelve percent for menus across the board. But uh, that was that was their tactic, and we'll see where that goes. I guess. Do you think it's going to work out? Um, I think it'll work if the marketing is there. Yeah. If if they don't market the restaurant properly, then it it wouldn't work out. Um, definitely, um, the region they're in. I mean, I've noticed I've noticed that uh, Calgary food prices are a bit lower. Just being in Calgary right now compared to Vancouver, um, it's definitely a little lower. The food prices are lower in Calgary than Vancouver, and I think it's just based on the uh, just the people in the region. I guess, yeah. So one of the things we've been looking into is sort of like uh, instead of doing you know across the board uh, menu price jumps, we're looking at having stuff like you know when a particular burger is selling well, uh, having like a surge pricing model similar to what Uber Eats does for uh, for takeout. We want to say like oh this this menu item is sort of performing well, we can incrementally charge more for it during hot hours. We're seeing sort of what's performing best and increasing those prices while keeping other prices lower so that we can have a a balancing effect um, for restaurants. Have you seen anything like that in, in your space? And do you think that's like a tactic that would that would make sense, or would you prefer more of like that sort of gradual, uh, corresponding to inflation increase? I think a gradual, based on inflation, is probably the best because inflation is in the news so much now. So I, people, I believe guests or customers understand that 
they have to pay, you know, 15 plus dollars for a bowl of Vietnamese noodles now, instead of, in my mind, it's, it's like $11, but now it's 15, right? So, but, uh, everybody knows what's going on in the world, but I think also, uh, uh, wages probably need to go up as well based on a higher increase of wages needs to happen for sure in the industry. Um, I just, I just, and so yeah, go ahead. No, no, you can grab oh, no, phone. I just, I just saw and, uh, going through my iPhone there, it said, uh, something about KFC and Kamloops or something is, uh, hiring at $22 an hour. So, um, some people, some, some, I guess, big corporations are kind of feeling the, the, the crunch for uh, labor shortage. So they're adjusting to it, but uh, we'll definitely see KFC price go up, right? If that's where you eat. Yeah, yeah no kidding. $22 an hour is, it's, you know, it's a great start. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and so, so do you see this sort of um, almost getting worse and worse as the years go on? Like what's going to happen in, in five, 10, 20 years with the restaurant space? Is it just going to get more and more expensive or are we going to find a balance that, uh, you know, is only curbed by inflation, you know, how, how do we, how do we fix it? Um, I mean, paying, paying your cooks properly, but not overworking them. Um, I, probably the biggest thing for restaurants is probably making a smaller menu. Um, cause you need, you need less staff for prep or execution if you have a smaller menu and, uh, some owners that, uh, run restaurants that don't necessarily aren't chef owners or front of the house manager type order uh, owners. They're just investor owners. Um, they might want certain menu items and a sizable menu, but um, I think you got to really listen to the people running that business. Um, keep the menu smaller to streamline everything really target your guests as well. If it's a smaller menu. Mm -hmm. And then sort of, um, that's sort of been done people like, you know, with, with happy hour menus, focusing on, on a smaller subset to get people in the doors sort of during off peak hours. How have you seen, uh, you know, do, do you as a, as a restaurateur want to see more people come in during the off peak hours to sort of offset the, the rent and everything, or would you prefer sort of that, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, fixed times and a few hours off in between? Um, I think bringing, bringing people in during the, the off hours is a great, great way to maintain your staffing levels. Um, especially with the late night happy hour too, because it, you really capture like the, the drunk people, I guess, kind of like uh, spending a little more money at the end of the night. Um, yeah, I think, I think happy hour is awesome. I, uh, my wife and I go for happy hour and I know a lot of my friends do too, just to, you know, you save a little bit of money and you know, so you get to go out as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we've seen is that, um, you know, uh, restaurants have around 65% of their, their, uh, opening hours sort of not, uh, filled. So like the seats mm -hmm. are empty. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is see like, if we can, uh, help them in a way where if they spend like, let's say five minutes a day using our software, can they get hundreds or thousands of dollars of increased revenue from those, those empty seats and sort of use using that sort of obviously underutilized asset in a way that, um, almost yeah, takes the happy hour idea and makes it more, more streamlined. Mm -hmm. It's a, so I'm trying to learn about how to, how to really make sure that's, a, that's an effective policy. So what we do right now essentially is we have these uh, coupons that are um, 
to be able to, I'm not sure how much you know about our product, but essentially we have this sort of two-sided marketplace. We have an app for users that lets them connect in five clicks with their friends with great coupons and uh, challenges and deals and all the things. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of provided by the restaurant side. So the restaurant um, gets prompted, like there's like, you know, 20 or 50 or however many users in your area. You can send a notification, give them a coupon that gets them to come in at that time. You can see all their orders coming in and then sort of menu analysis on those. Afterwards, you can get a, a customer uh, engagement sort of score from their, their Google reviews or the Yelp reviews. And so starting to see like how we can take, um, you know, almost like making it more game-like and sort of almost like with quick time events and, you know, having different quests and challenges. How do you get people to come into this restaurant, especially during those off hours to fill those empty seats that are empty for um, more than half the time? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, getting, getting people, I just see it with like downtown Calgary. It's, it's pretty dead sometimes week, weeknights. So, I mean, if you can get people in there on a, on a Monday or Tuesday, the restaurants are winning, right? For sure. Cause there's still stat. You still, you still have to <laughs> yeah. staff the line. You still have to close the restaurant and you still have to wipe the bar down. So, um, anybody in the off yeah, hours are going to, they're going to help the whole business too. And it keeps people employed too. Yeah, definitely. It's like, a, it's always like a slow starter. Cause you know, people are, um, always slow to change. And so what we've seen work is we run these, these events, we call them dine nights. And so we have like some really nice deal that's sort of promoted and plugged in our app. And then um, like we saw one restaurant went from $200 a day to $2,200 oh, a day wow. in their like weeknight revenue. It was like just craziest. Um, and they also sustained over a month after the event, which is really great for them because they were able to you know, come out of bankruptcy and mm -hmm. everything. And so like that's sort of been our, our, our way of getting it, uh, getting it rolling. And so we've been able to, you know, have a couple of these dine night events that some of our you know, core partners in the in the new neighborhood we're going into, and then uh, slowly the people sort of hear about what's going on. Uh, those those um, sort of outside of the events incentives become more more easy to approach, and you can you know use a coupon on a regular you know um, date or or hangout or whatever you'd like, sort of um, at your own will, and then we get a nice. Um, you know, rolling user base that's always coming back to these restaurants and making sure that they can sustain their their staff and sustain their, their costs, especially during those weeknights, during those, you know, 2 to 5 p.m. stretches. Yeah. That's it's an awesome, awesome tool for sure. I mean, it's a, I'll be... That's a soundbite right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an awesome tool for sure. I'll, I'll be using that for sure. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> um, and so... What's the next steps with Ronin Chefs? Um, I mean, I I, I personally want to want to open some other uh, food food businesses in the future. I have I'm working on a couple items. Um, I don't like to talk about everything that I'm doing, but um, I love Southern food and Korean food, so I'm definitely gonna start something uh, fusing those together. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But for Ro well, we got a. For Ronin Chef, we got a Texan guy on our team, so he's like, he, I think I'm, he's gonna be one of your first customers for nice, sure. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, for uh, for Ronin Chef, so I'm just gonna keep doing private dining and hopefully uh, get a couple uh, uh, personal chef jobs going into people's houses, doing meal prep possibly, and uh, moving moving towards that. And are you planning on scaling it past? Uh, so you're you're operating this in Vancouver, yeah. Like, yeah. 
Are you planning on scaling it past Vancouver? I would, uh, I mean, the dream is, uh, just because uh, my parents do live in in Alberta, the dream is to get uh, some some dinners going in in Calgary as well, so I can come back home a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. West Western Canada, and if we want Western Canada base, so if, if I go to Cologne or, or Victoria or, or Whistler, whatever, it's the dream, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, walk me through the experience of, of ordering your uh, your service. So how do what's, what's what's my customer experience? How do I find you? Um, what are the steps? Um, so you find me on a, a Google search or Instagram hashtag. Um, send me a DM or a an email or a phone call or a text message. Um, tell me, ask people ask when I'm available. I say either yes or no. Um, hopefully yes. <laughs> and then, uh, just, uh, see what their budget's at and then I'll send them a, send them a quick, uh, kind of a sample menu. Some people say great and, uh, roll with the menu or some people have adjustments to make and then we'll just make adjustments and then, uh, just set the menu up. I bring plates um, for up to 16 people. So a lot of uh, a lot of people don't have plates for 60 people in their house. So I, I provide that as the service. Um, I've noticed a lot of some private chefs charge extra for that. So I feel like I'm at an advantage. Maybe not an advantage, but uh, it, it, if I'm plating food, I want to plate it on a nice plate instead of some people's plates look a little it's the customer yeah plate. exactly right it's a full package um so we go through that send a menu and then uh, i'll show up a couple hours before and then serve the guest speak speak to the guest on the menu and uh, each course and then uh clean up after just like i was never there in and out and a little bit of uh, magic in between. Yeah, that's for good. Sure. That's the way yeah. you want it. Um, without naming names, I'm not sure if you're allowed to, but who has been the, the coolest uh, sort of <clears throat> customer you've had? Any actors you know about or any big time people? Um, coolest customer. Oh. There was a... Uh... One guy that had definitely a <laughs> an addiction for expensive whiskeys. So um, he he was uh, he's an owner of a a, a sushi chain in in Vancouver and probably multiple other uh, businesses. But he had a I want to say he had three hundred thousand dollars in whiskey, like nice whiskey, not even a little. Uh -huh. So um, my uh the other chef i started rowing chefs with Tarek. um he's a big whiskey guy so he was just in heaven so um <laughs> unfortunately we, my my co-founder is a big whiskey guy too so i think he'd it, be you know gushing over if you're it. a whiskey guy i'm not i like whiskey but i'm not uh, i don't know too much about it but uh this guy had like a bottle and then a backup bottle and a backup bottle of like a two thousand dollar <laughs> bottle of whiskey, and we're like, "Oh, why did we drive here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. so, so no sleepovers uh, with Jesse as part of the service, unfortunately. No, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to go back there because uh, I mean, the the family was great. It it was awesome too because they were they're Japanese Canadians just like myself, so there was like a connection there, like instantly, just uh, speaking with them and everything. Yeah, it's awesome. 
I always find it's it's fun to find people who are so different from you, but who have that shared sort of cultural thread. Yeah. You know, mixed thing, mixed connections. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, awesome. We're sort of getting close to the thirty minute mark. Um, I'd love for you to sort of tell people, um, you know, where to find you, what those socials are. Um, we talked about how you can find them on Instagram and email, but what are those emails and how can people find you? Um, Roninchefs at email.com. So R-O-N-I-N-C-H-E-F-S at email.com or on Instagram, Roninchefs. Or you could, uh, my personal uh, Instagram account, which people reach out to me to is chef.j.hoch. And we Amazing. And I have a website to www.roninchefs.com. And we'll have all those links in the description of the video. So no worries on if you can't find awesome. it. Um, anything else you want to tell the listeners, Justin? Uh, no, I've been, uh, I love connecting with, uh, other foodie type people. And also I, I heard you might be cooking against Craig one day. So, um, Oh, I was, I totally forgot to ask, I, I guess take this offline, but I need to get some cooking tips from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause that's coming up. He's going to be flying back here and then I gotta, I gotta do a competition against this guy. So I'm quite scared. You know, I would... He's got so many years of experience and I have you know, making ramen in my corner. I'd love to uh, be on your corner to beat Craig. <laughs> for sure. That'd be fun. But, uh, That'd be fun. Thanks for having me. It's it's uh, it's great. And uh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, stay on the call. We'll talk about this in a bit. But thanks, everybody, for listening to Dining Out. This has been an amazing episode with Jesse, uh, founder of Ronin Chefs. Uh, check them out. I know that Dine is going to be having some catered uh, nights with his services, so I think I'm really excited to get some Japanese-Canadian-inspired, um, vegan, gluten-free, lactose-free, uh, paleo um, food in one menu somehow. Um, but yeah, that's sort of uh, my, my goal is to see how much I can push Jesse and see where we can get him to, and then hopefully he can help me beat Craig. Um, if you haven't already, do download Dine to join our foodie community and start meeting up with interesting people like Jesse and, uh, and many others in just five clicks. And with that, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening.